Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew and I'm the lead pastor and we are so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, do me a favor, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out the short form online for us as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed right there. So we're nearing the end of our series of talks in James. And can I just encourage you, if you've not listened or watched to any of the messages, you got to go back and do so when you're done watching this one, okay? And that's because James is such an enriching letter. It's full of so much wisdom, and it's wisdom that you not only need right now, but it's wisdom which I think speaks to the current culture and environment that we find ourselves in right now at the moment. Let me recap where we've been for you, okay? We started in James chapter 1, and we learned all about troubles and temptations. We learned that God grows us and develops us during those troubling times, but there's a real devil too, and that real enemy, he seeks to destroy destroy us during the times of temptation. However, and this is really important to note, okay, each temptation we face is an opportunity for spiritual growth. So we now know where we're weakest at, and we know that we need to give God more access to certain parts of our lives wherever the temptation may strike. Then we jumped over to James chapter 2, and we talked a lot about prejudice, and how do we reject prejudice in our lives? We, we, we value other people, we accept and forgive and get close to people as well. We need to know each other's stories. We need to value and accept and forgive people in the manner that God does, and that will fight prejudice in our own lives in a way that no political or sociological strategy ever could. And last week, we spent time in James chapter 3, breaking down all the different types of you know, powers that our words bring. Our words can be destructive, they can also be life-giving, but we have to allow God to change our hearts, right? When we let God change our hearts and speak life to us, we can build people up instead of tear them down with our words. Don't be one of the many voices out there speaking destruction and negativity. Be someone who builds up and encourages, okay? Now, as we move to the end of James's letter, we're going to come into chapter 4, we're out here today. And we're going to read the very first verse of James 4. There's fighting happening, actually, among the people in his church. Let me stop you for a moment, though, and let's all kind of get on the same page. Just in case you're watching or listening for the very first time, James is writing a letter not uh, to, a, to a church that's not meeting right now. So they're scattered all over the place. There's intense persecution, and James's church of mostly Jewish Christians, they fanned out in the surrounding area, and they're not meeting together. They're actually scattered around the region of what is today Israel. So James 4, uh, verse number 1, all right? What is causing the quarrels and fights among you, James writes? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? So James is hearing, you know, reports of his scattered church fighting with each other. You ever heard the phrase, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder, right? Well, it can also make the heart grow a lot harder, as we're about to find out here. And to put it another way, um, you know, distance can make you miss, but it can also make 
make you miss, as in like misinterpret. Remember the game telephone? You ever played that as a kid? You know, you have one person who would say one thing on one end of a line or a circle of kids, and you know, they might say something like, man, I love pizza and ice cream. And the next person would repeat that and so on, and inevitably someone wouldn't hear it right. And they'd sort of get a letter or a word wrong, and by the time they got to the end of the phrase, it became, I love pancakes and roaches, <laughs> right? A lot of misinterpretation was going on. Distance can make you miss. It can make you miss big time. James's church, they might have been scattered, but they're obviously talking to each other. They're hearing some things. They're also missing it somewhere, too. If you want to hear uh, what someone is saying clearly, okay, you got to make sure that you close the gap. You got to close the distance. Think about basketball for a moment. How many of you guys are ready for some college basketball? I love NCAA basketball. Obviously, the closer to the basketball, you are, the greater the shot percentage, okay? But the further away you go, well, the lower that percentage drops. I've got to tell you, the more distance we create between ourselves and others, and I don't mean physical distance, I mean relational distance here, okay? The more misses that we can experience. It's not a, you know, physical distance. It's all about relational distance because it's possible for you to be separated physically and yet still be together if your relationship with other people is on good footing. Let's keep going. Verse number two. James says this. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what other people have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Mm. We don't know what's going on in detail right here. I think it's pretty important. I want to put that out there before I go any further. We have no idea what the details are. But James does give us a clue in the verses, okay? It's pretty obvious that they're hearing about what's happening in other cities and places where the church is scattered. Remember, James is writing this letter to his church. It's not to the masses of people. So it's kind of got an inward bent to it, okay? And this chapter really brings that out. They're hearing what this group is doing and what the group is saying, and maybe what another group, another group of folks can meet together, right? Maybe they can meet physically together, and they're growing and having a good time. But the other folks meeting somewhere else, they have to be secretive and have small gatherings. Like, I don't know what's going on on a detail level, but something's happening, and they're not focused on each other. They're not focused on what's in front of them. They're focused on each other, rather. Sorry about that. We find ourselves in a similar trap sometimes, right? Like we see what, you know, this person's posting over here and what that person's sharing over there. And we try to one-up someone on our socials and we take the family picture that's perfect, right? But you know, you know there was fighting before the picture was taken. <laughs> there was definitely fighting after it was taken. That's not shown in the photograph you shared on Instagram. We live in a culture, though, where we, we have the ability to see what other people are doing and posting and buying. And if we're not careful, all that focus will be on what we want and what they have, and we'll find ourselves misappreciating what's right in front of us. Things like our family, our spouses, our jobs, right? See, James wants his readers to stop focusing on them. Don't focus on the people that you call those people, right? Stop focusing on what's not yours and what's out of reach, and start focusing on you, on yourself. He says there's a war within you in verse number one. The scheming and plotting and strategy that you utilize to get what you don't have, hey, that's causing all the fights, and worse, instead of asking for God's help, they're going to God with the wrong motives. It's 
It's not about what God wants for them. It's about what gives them momentary pleasure. It's, it, it's not, you know, closing the gap between them and God. It's about taking center stage and really wanting to close the gap between themselves and other people in a sort of keeping up with the Joneses kind of mindset. So if you want to close the distance, you have to focus on what you do have. That's really important. So you got to fight, I would say, too, to stay thankful, right? Think about it like this. You might say, well, I don't have the car or the job or the marriage, you know, but at least I have a, a car that gets me from A to B, or at least I have a job that pays the bills, or at least I have a, a marriage that's full of devotion and love. You have to focus on what you have and fight to stay thankful for it because every day we're bombarded with a perpetual need for more. What we have is never good enough. And depending on our circumstances and what those might be, we're chasing all kinds of shifting and changing type things, right? Look at this from 1 Thessalonians 5 real quick. Always be joyful, the author who, who, who is Paul, by the way, says. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all our circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So what's the author saying here? What's Paul saying? Well, did it, did, I, I wonder if it stood out to you like it did to me. Because he says, be thankful in all circumstances. That, that stood out like a sore thumb. In all circumstances, because that's God's will. When you give thanks in every circumstance, your life becomes a living prayer. A living prayer. Believe it or not, there's somebody out there praying for what you have. You might misappreciate your kids. And as a parent, <laughs> I can relate to that sometimes, right? There's a temptation that comes that you're kind of in the moment and you wish you could escape for a day or a weekend or maybe six weeks. I don't know. But each time we say, man, I'm just sick of these kids. They're getting on my nerves, whatever. Just remember, there's somebody out there praying for kids that they can't have, right? Or there's somebody who lost a son or daughter and they wish they could get back to a moment where the kids were getting on their last nerves. When you get upset with your job and the pay and the working conditions, hey, remember, somebody's out there who put dozens of applications in and they're praying that God sends them a job and connects them with the job. Or when your car breaks down for like the 1,000th time and it's played with issue after issue after issue and you can't catch a break, there's somebody out there praying for a car. They can't afford one and that car will change their life. So we have to fight to stay thankful in all of our circumstances because it's just too easy to miss what's in front of us. It's too easy to misappreciate what God has given us. And if we're not careful, uh, we're not going to just misappreciate what we have. We'll also misdiagnose the real problem that we're facing. James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Let's, let's look at this real quick. He says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate. The spirit he's placed inside of us, it, it should be, we should be faithful to him. So when you're busy trying to get, you know, what other people have, or, or how about this, right? Trying to change other people, because we do that a lot too, especially as Christians. It's indicative of a deeper spiritual problem that's going on in our lives. You can't change others, by the way, but you can change yourself. And James is really ramping up the tone here. You know, he accuses the people in his own church, by the way, of having a spiritual affair with the worldly system. Now notice, he doesn't say, hey, don't you know you're sinning like crazy? You're making yourself an enemy of God. Stop it. He's not doing that. 
He says, friendship with the world, flirting with this worldly system and culture which opposes God, that's what makes you somebody on the other side. For all the talk lately about whose side God is on, that's the wrong way to look at stuff. God is not on anybody's side. The real question is, are you on God's side or not, right? Are you on His side? And if you're embracing everything that's contrary and opposing to Him, then pretty much you've made your choice, right? I mean, I, I think I think we've done a really poor job actually at explaining what this looks like in church circles. We focused on all the external stuff, right? There's an old saying, like a really old saying, <laughs> and I heard it a lot as a kid. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do, right? <laughs> I have no idea, by the way, why it was always girls who did that kind of stuff. But anyway, the idea was you got to be good, be perfect, be a good kid, do the right stuff. But what surprises me now, all these years later, is how nobody really talked about the more subtle, and deceptive and I would argue more dangerous philosophical traps that are out there. I'm talking about ideologies and philosophies that have you saying, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense, I agree with that, okay, cool. But you fail to realize that those ideologies argue that God is essentially non-existent, right? And that to adopt those philosophies would mean to embrace a type of pluralism that's not compatible with who God is and what he claims. And so what we're doing when we shift our thinking is we adopt our, you know, a culture, not a kingdom mindset and belief system. And that will eventually reflect in every aspect of your life. And you probably say, well, pastor, okay, that sounds really old school for me. Like, I'm fine. I can walk and chew gum at the same time. I can distinguish between the two. I'm good. You ever notice, though, like how when we're with friends, we start to kind of talk like them, right? We, we, we kind of like what they like and we, we do what they do. And at first there were differences for sure. But over time, a lot of similarities begin to happen and creep in. That's because we start to actually conform to each other. The moment you begin to adopt a worldly system and worldly principles, the more you become like the culture first in your belief system and then in your actions. And it can actually create a large gap gap in your relationship with God. So relationship here is the, is the key. Look at verse number five one more time. James says that God placed his spirit in us. There is a passion for God um, that we're to have. There's a passion that he has for us. If we're adopting a worldly system, if we're worrying about diagnosing everybody else's sin, by the way, we said earlier that a lot of us kind of do that, we're going to forget that we got our own issues. And if you spend all your time looking at somebody else's sin and calling them out, you're not going to have a healthy self-reflection of what's going on in your life and how you should be faithful to God yourself, right? Don't worry about other folks and deal with their spiritual kind of stuff. You be the agent that God uses to bring truth to them and you focus on God and just let him deal with the change in their lives, okay? So we can misdiagnose when we're, we're distant in our walk with God. We can also do something else. We can misbehave. Look at verse number 11. Skip down a little bit. Verse number 11, James says, don't speak evil against your uh, brothers and sisters, right? If you criticize and judge each other, well, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whatever applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge, all right? So he alone alone has the power to save or destroy, what right do you have to judge your neighbor? What's misbehaving look like? Well, James says it looks like the Christian who's speaking against another Christian. Now, I would go broader here and say, look, this is, you know, I know the letters for people inside of his church, but this principle is also true when you're dealing with other people as well, Christian or not. Don't speak against people. 
Why? Because when you slander somebody, you actually violate God's standards. You place yourself in God's position as judge, and your role is not the judge, right? You're not supposed to do that. You don't have that right. James points out in verse 12. Nothing can create distance more, by the way, between two people relationally than taking the position of judge. So how do we close the gap? How do we do it? How do we close the, the gap in our walk with other people and with God? Well, if distance has been created, you got to close it by first uh, staying humble. First, stay humble. Look at verse number six. We'll go back up here. Verse number six. James says, and he, talking about God here, okay? He gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's quoting Proverbs 3.34. So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come close to God, and he'll come closer to you. When you continually humble yourself, God embraces you. He pours out his grace on you when you take a low position. Being proud doesn't mean that you make you know, bad choices all the time, right? It doesn't mean that you even become arrogant. Pride can work in very small and subtle kind of ways. It can be the attitude that says, I got this, I got enough boundaries in place, I got good systems, I know enough, I have enough, I own enough, I'm good, right? They can also be found in other areas of our life, too, that are, you know, small and subtle we don't even think about, like parenting. Speaking as one parent to other parents that are out there, uh, hey, we, we can fall into this prideful trap. We, we generally know what's best for our kids, right, especially in relation to other people, but we don't know what's best for them in relation to, to God. God knows what's best for our kids more than we do, believe it or not, and we can decide to protect and shelter and keep them from hanging out with other kids their age, you know, and stuff, hoping they don't turn out how, like, we might have turned out before we came to know Christ or whatever, but ultimately, God knows what's best, and we have to be careful that, you know, we're trusting God in our parenting. That trust is a form of, of humility. So because we're, you know, we're admitting that this job is too big and we need God, humility takes place. We need to trust God even as we parent. And whenever we're prideful, by the way, God, he's going to resist us. But whenever we take a position of humility, he pours out his grace on us. In fact, when we take a position of humility, James says the enemy actually turns from us. He runs, but God will come closer. Here's the last step. Next step we got to do, leave the judging to God. Leave it to God. Judgment's a big theme in this letter called James. And it's a lot easier to hold people to something. And it's easy to hold them to a standard and to judge them when they get off that standard. But God does not operate that way. In fact, God, what he does for us, he didn't hold us to it. He loves us through it, right? God loves us through our issues. He loves us through what we're facing. It doesn't mean he won't correct us. He'll definitely correct us from time to time. But it means that he's going to correct us out of a place of love and not anger, right? We said a moment ago that our role is not to judge. That's not a role we're supposed to take on. That's God's role. Let him judge. Let him do that. Right? One last miss we can have here today that I want to talk about. It's not from James chapter 4, but it is from the life of James himself. It's possible we can misjudge Jesus. See, when James is writing this letter, he's all in, right? He's all in. He's a great follower of Christ. Everything's good. He wasn't always that way, though. There was a time in his life where he opposed Jesus. Now, for those of you who may not know or remember, James is actually Jesus' half-brother, okay? And I don't know about you, but my brothers and I were pretty tight. We would never, at least publicly anyway, oppose each other like what James did. James, he mocked Jesus. He called him out. He thought he was a fraud. He literally thought that Jesus was insane <laughs> at one point, okay? He obviously didn't get along with him. But everything changed for James when he discovered 
that the grave was empty, when he learned that Jesus was in fact alive, that he, you know, was exactly who he claimed to be all along. And see, it's, it's possible to, you know, miss and miss Christ at the same time. We can misinterpret him. We can miss moments he's calling us to. We can misjudge him. James, James obviously did that, right? You know, in fact, don't you think James might have expected that, you know, Jesus would be disappointed with him? Maybe to call him out for the disbelief that he had and how he had treated uh, him. But, you know, but James becomes one of the most respected leaders in the early church. He pastors the Jerusalem church. He writes this incredible letter full of wisdom and hard-hitting truth. What does that tell me? Well, it tells me this, that you're never too far from God. I don't really know what kind of distance or, or gap you have between you and Christ, but you're never too far from God. You can close that gap today, man, by exercising the very first step we talked about earlier, staying humble. To call out to God that you need Him, you need His forgiveness, you're going to surrender your life over to Him. And that takes a lot of humility, but it's humility which can lead to life-changing stuff, life-changing transformation, man. And if that's you, I just want to pray for you before we close things out here in a moment. I want to help you walk through how you can close the gap and follow Christ. But maybe you're also a Christian listening or watching right now, and you realize that, hey, the gap uh, in your life is there too, right? And it could be with, you know, God or somebody else, but there's a relationship gap somewhere. Maybe you know that your, your humility is not there. You've you got to be humble. Maybe you realize that you know, you're in a role of judging and you've got to get out of that role. That's God's role and not yours. I'm not sure. But I want to end our time praying for you too, that in your humility or in the you know, giving up of that judgment role that you've got to God, you too can close that relational gap in your life as well. So Father, I pray right now for those who, who, who don't. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.